within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still in all of life's ebb and flow. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. Keeps me singing as I go. On the second now. All my life was wrecked by sin and strife. Discord filled my heart with pain. Jesus swept across the broken strings, stirred the slumbering again. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Heals my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Let's take a few moments, get out of your seat, fellowship one with another. Coming back to welcome me far beyond the starry sky. I shall wing my flight to worlds unknown. I shall reign with him on high. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. Keeps me singing as I go. Let's remain stand for a word of prayer. Glad to have all of you here tonight, and we're glad you're in the service. Let's pray now for all the other things that are going on, not just the service in here, not just the service here only, 
but uh, the Awana next door, I want to be praying for them and also the uh, young people tonight in their midweek service. So there's a lot of things going Wednesday night and a good number here tonight, but there's always a, a lot more in other places around here on Wednesday night. But let's pray now and ask the Lord to bless this service and to work in this service. Mark, if you would, lead us in a word of prayer. Yes. 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 Honor Jesus. Amen. Let's continue to sing. Page 566. Happiness is the Lord. 566. Happiness is to know the Savior living a life within his favor, having a change in my behavior. Happiness is to the Lord on the second now. Happiness is a new creation, Jesus in me, in close relation, having a part in his salvation. Happiness is the Lord, real joy is mine, no matter if teardrops start, I found the secret, it's Jesus in my heart. That's worth the living, taking a trip that leads to heaven. Happiness is the Lord. Happiness is the Lord. Happiness is the Lord. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering. Your Wednesday night giving goes in the support of the Bible conference that we have in the fall every year. Of course, we just got through uh, with the conference this year, but we are already getting ready for next year. So I encourage you to give tonight. And you've been giving good this month and to the Bible conference. And I appreciate it and encourage all of you to give. Let's pray now. Father, we do thank you, Lord, that in you we find our joy and our happiness. And Father, that joy and happiness is expressed in many ways in our life. And one of them is through our giving. It is a joy to give to the Lord. So bless the offering tonight and bless those who give in Jesus' name. Amen.
to try to sing an old, old song tonight. And I know all of you've heard it and you know it. You just sing along with me if you'd like to. It just says, while the ages grow. Praise the Lord, Mary Jo. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 12, the book of Romans, chapter 12, and also be finding the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. While you're turning there, let me just make mention that uh, the fellas, and of course they have a name, we call them Methuselah in the next generation, but their name is actually Justified, and I think two of them have been Justified, so they picked that title up. But uh, we're real proud of them. But they'll be singing at the River Park. That's off Amnicola Highway this coming Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. And this is an event that's sponsored by the Ronald McDonald House. So you might be interested in dropping by there on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. I'm going to get you out. I know some of you are concerned about the debates tonight. They don't start till 9 o'clock. And I will do my best, I promise you, to get you out of here by 9 o'clock. You have to watch them to, to know what goes on because I get amazed. I watch all these things on TV and then listen to everybody talk after it. And I think to myself, did they watch the same thing I watched? 
I, you know, I really wonder sometimes. So I'll get you out of here by at least 10 till 9. That way you'll have time enough to get home. Let's stand as we honor the reading of His Word. Last Wednesday night, we uh, began thinking about the matter of presenting our bodies. Presenting our bodies, and in particular, presenting members of our bodies. And we thought about presenting our hands to the Lord. And we took a phrase, and of course there's a lot of verses in the Bible that makes reference to a believer's hands. But we took a phrase that is connected to hands in the Bible, and that is the phrase about lifting up your hands. And we saw in the Bible how God, what He wants us to do with with our hands. For example, we thought about the hands of supplication, lifting up our hands to God in prayer. We thought about the hands of adoration, that we're to lift up our hands and to express our love and adoration of the Lord. And then, of course, the hands of purification, that we're to come before God with clean hands. But the matter of presenting our hands to the Lord. Tonight, I want to think about the matter of presenting our feet to the Lord. And we're talking about presenting our bodies, and in particular, members of our bodies. Now, here is our text verse, the basis of all that we're considering, Romans 12, 1. The Scripture said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. And we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, we're to present our bodies to the Lord. Now, look in the book of Proverbs chapter 4, and this will become the first of three verses that we'll look at tonight. But in the book of Proverbs chapter 4, we have reference to our feet. In Proverbs chapter 4, notice verse 26. Proverbs 4 and verse 26. The Bible said, Ponder the path of thy feet, and let not all thy and let all thy ways be established. Again, we're to present our bodies, and in particular tonight, we want to focus on presenting our feet. For the Bible said, ponder the path of thy feet. Thank you. May be seated. Let's pray. And tonight we'll consider what the Scripture has to say to us about our feet. Our Father tonight, in Jesus' name, as we study your word, we are made aware of what you expect of us and what you ask of us, Lord, what you even demand of us. And Father, we find in the Scripture that we are to present our bodies to you. Our bodies have great interest to you, for you have much to say about our bodies. And Father, as we look at the Scripture in even more detail, we find that every member of our body has great interest to you. Our hands, our feet, our ears, our eyes, our heart. So many things about the body and members of the body that we find that you our Lord used to speak of our Christian life, and thus each member of our body is of great interest to you and is to be presented to you. For that reason, we ask you now, Lord, to help us as we focus upon this particular member of our body. And as we look at what the Scripture has to say, I pray that you'd open our hearts and help us tonight to glean from the Word of God something that will help us as we serve you and bring our bodies to you. So open our hearts now, and we'll thank you and praise you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things Amen. Again, Romans 12 verse 1 talks about the matter of presenting our bodies. And last Wednesday night we saw in the tense of the words that are used here that this he's talking about a 
moment and an act whereby we come before God and we give God our bodies. The ideal of presenting our bodies, all of the terminology used there, as the ideal of a priest coming before God. And as we saw, the word present means to come before. And it's just like a high priest would come before God with a sacrifice. There was an act of presentation and there was an act of consecration. The priest would come before God with a lamb or a bullock or a turtle dove, depending on the status of the individual. And they would bring that offering before God and they would present that offering to God, give that offering to God as a sacrifice. There was an act of presentation and there was an act of consecration. In much the same fashion, there is to be a time in my life when I come before God. And I come before God with this in mind. Dear God, I am coming to you to give you my body. Again, there ought to be a time in your life that you can point back to where you said you gave God your body. Or to put it another way, there's a time in your life that you can point back to and look at and say, there's where I gave my life to God. I came before God in that moment and in that act of presentation, I consecrated my life to the Lord. Well, as we thought about last Wednesday night, the Bible has much to say about the believer's body. And I trust that some of you went home and just got your concordance down and looked up the number of references in the Bible about the body. But I think of one in particular, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, where the Bible said, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And there again, that word sanctify, it is a word that means to set apart. In more detail, it means to set apart from something and to set apart to something. When you talk about being sanctified, it's meaning that we are set apart from the world and we're set apart unto God. That's what sanctification is. And when he talks about the matter of the body, he talks about presenting or sanctifying or setting apart ourselves wholly to God. And then he goes on to enlarge upon that. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body. So there's this matter coming before God and giving myself wholly, as the Bible would say, or totally to God. I'm to give my spirit, soul, and body to God. And again, there are many other references that talks about the body. But also, not only does the Bible have a lot to say about our body, but it also has a lot to say about members of our bodies, of our body. It talks about our hands, which we looked at last week. It talks about our feet that we're going to look at tonight. It talks about our eyes, our ears, our heart, our bowels, many different things and members of the body and body parts that are referred to in the Scripture. So I want us to look tonight at the second member of the body that we're to give to God. When we talk about coming to God and giving Him our body, we're talking about giving Him our hands and we're talking about giving Him our feet. So let's think about the matter of feet tonight. Again, and when you think about the matter of feet, and if you were to take your concordance and look up the word feet, you'll find there are numerous references to the word, or numerous references to feet in the Bible, like the word hands. There's so many that we tried to find a common denominator in some of the uh, scriptures that it talks about hands, and we use that phrase, lifting up your hands. And so there's so many references in the Bible to feet that I want us to use again, once again, find a common denominator between some of the verses that talks about our feet. And the common denominator that I find in many of the references about feet is that of a path. And the Bible talks about our feet and the path that we walk on. So I want to point out three of them tonight and just draw some thoughts from them about our feet and giving our feet to God. The first one is found in the book of Proverbs chapter 4. 
And I want us to think about a path to ponder. Talking about giving our feet to God. And Proverbs talks about our feet. Proverbs 4, verse 26. And how we are to ponder the path of our feet. Again, look at our scripture. Proverbs 4, verse 26. The wise man Solomon said, Ponder the path of thy feet. Now the word ponder there is a word that simply means to weigh mentally. It is to stop and to think about this matter. It is to weigh the results of certain matters. It is carefully to think about the path that we are taking. It is to think about it, meditate upon it, contemplate it, just kind of weigh the whole situation out. That's the idea behind pondering the path of our feet. Now, there's an interesting thing in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4, it talks about two different paths. In fact, when he talks about pondering the path of your feet, that is after talking about two different paths. So it's like the wise man Solomon said, now here is one path that you can take, and here is another path that you can take. Now, what I want you to do is to ponder the path of your feet. I want you to think about this path. I want you to think about this path. I want you to think about what the end result of this path would be and what the end result of this path would be. I want you to weigh the evidence out and then make your decision which path you are going to take. Well, look in Proverbs chapter 4 at the two paths that are mentioned. And we're to ponder the results of the two paths that we can take in life. There's the path, there's these two paths really are the two paths that you have in life choice to make. You can go down this path, you can go down that path. Let's look at the two. Notice first of all, he talks about the darkness of the path of the wicked. He talks about the darkness of the path of the wicked. Look in verse 14. He said in Proverbs 4, 14, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Look down in verse 19. He speaks about the way of the wicked is as darkness, and they know not at what they stumble. And verse 14, he talks about the path of the wicked. Verse 19, he describes that as a path of darkness or a dark path. Now, when he talks about our feet and pondering the path of our feet, the first path that he wants us to think about is the path of darkness or the darkness of the path of the wicked. Now look at verse 14. What kind of path is this? Well, you notice in, in verse 14 that there are two words that he uses to describe those who are walking on this particular path. And the two words that he uses to describe those on this path, I think, is uh, words carefully chosen by the Spirit of God to illustrate what this path is like. He calls them wicked in verse 14, and he also calls them evil. Two different words and they have two different meanings. For example, take the word wicked. The word wicked, we would simply translate it bad. It's talking about a bad person. But it talks about someone that is morally bad or morally wrong. He's talking about somebody that is living in sin. And it's someone that is following this wicked path or this path of wickedness and is someone that is living an immoral life. They are following the flesh. They are following, fulfilling uh, the lust of the flesh and they're living in sin, doing whatever the devil would want. It is a word that would describe how the pleasures of sin are being sought. This is someone that is living a certain lifestyle. That's what they're choosing to do and they're living sin in its fullest. It is an immoral life. That's the wicked. But he also calls them evil in verse 14. He said, I enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of 
evil men. Now you see the word evil there? It is a word that is sometimes translated adversity. It is a word that speaks of affliction. It is a word that sometimes describes calamity. And sometimes it speaks of a matter of distress. And it's very interesting to me that when he talks about an evil man, he's talking about a man that's bound for adversity. He's talking about the affliction of this kind of path. He's talking about the calamity of this kind of path, the distress that accompanies this kind of path. So he's talking about the pleasures of sin that are being sought, but he's also talking about the product of sin that is being wrought. He's telling us that there is a path that you go down, and it is a dark path. And it is a path where you fulfill the lust of the flesh. It is a path where you live in sin. It is a path where you live an immoral life and just live it up, as, you, as we might say. But he said he also describes it as a path in which there is adversity. It is a path marked by calamity. It is a path doomed to distress. I want you to understand something tonight. This old world will paint us a beautiful picture of what this path is like. And it'll paint us a beautiful picture saying, come on down this path. This is where real joy is. This is where real happiness is. And this, the world will paint a picture to our young people saying that if you're not walking on this path, you're really missing out on life. But I want you to listen to what God says about this path. God calls it an evil path. It is a path that is destined for sorrow. It is a path that is destined for calamity. It is a path that is destined for distress. It is the pleasures of sin, as the Bible said, that are but for a season. Now, I'd be less honest with you to say that you can go out here in the world and not enjoy it. And now I'd be less honest if I said that. But I want you to know you can go out in the world and enjoy it, but it does not last. It is a path that always leads to calamity. It is a path that always leads to heartache. It is a path that always leads to sorrow. I never forget, and we'll never forget a story I read a number of years ago about the painting of the Lost or the Last Supper by the noted Italian artist Leonardo da Vinci. And you've heard me tell this story, I think, but uh, that particular painting, you're familiar with it. It took da Vinci seven years to paint the painting, The Last Supper. And every one of the figures in that painting, there was a model that he used for the face and the features in that particular painting. We often take that and we think that's what Jesus looked like. No, he took people from life and he used them as the model. Over a course of seven years, he found the people that he used for each particular person in that painting. Well, the model of Christ was the first one that da Vinci chose. And hundreds and hundreds of young men were carefully viewed in an endeavor to find a face and a personality exhibiting innocence and beauty and free from the scars and signs of sin in that particular person's life. So he looked at hundreds and hundreds of people and finally after weeks of laborious search, a young man 19 years old was selected as his model for Christ. And that young man sat practically every day for a total of six months for da Vinci to get that one face on canvas, the model for Christ. Well, over the next six years, he did the rest of them, and Judas was the last one that he chose. And he not only wanted someone that would represent in, in life what he thought Christ may have looked like, but he also wanted to find somebody that had the kind of face that he thought would be representative of Judas. He wanted to find a countenance that was marked by scars of deceit and hypocrisy and crime. 
a phase that he thought would characterize someone that would betray his best friend. So he began his search finding for someone that would be his model for Judas. At last, someone told him about a man that he thought would be the perfect model. And he was a man that was in a dungeon in Rome, in prison in Rome, in one of their dungeons there. And so Leonardo da Vinci went to Rome, and when the man was brought out of his cell, and da Vinci saw before him a dark, swarthy man, his long, shaggy, unkempt hair sprout all over, all over his face, which betrayed a character of viciousness, viciousness and complete ruin. And da Vinci knew that he had found his model. And so by special permission from the king, the prisoner was brought to Milan, where over the appointed hours over the next six months, this man was brought to da Vinci and used as his model for Judas. When he finally finished and the last stroke of the painting was done, he turned to the guards and said, I have finished you may take your prisoner away. And as the guards were leading the prisoner away, he suddenly broke loose and he ran up to Da Vinci and he cried out. He said, oh, Da Vinci, look at me. Do you not know who I am? And Da Vinci, with trained eyes of a great character student, carefully scrutinized the man upon whose face he had constantly gazed for the past several months. And then he said to him, he said, No, I have never seen you in my life until you were brought out before me out of the dungeon in Rome. And then lifting his eyes toward heaven, they say this man cried, Oh God, have I fallen so low? And then he turned his face toward da Vinci and said, Leonardo da Vinci, look at me again. For I am the same man you painted just seven years ago as the figure of Christ. The story reminds me that there is a path you can take. And it is a downward path. It is the path of wickedness. It is the darkness of the path of the wicked. Yes, the world may say, this is the path to take. But again, it's an evil path. It has the same end and always the same consequences. It'll take you down and down and down and down. It is a path born of adversity. Someone wrote these words. I am not a mathematician, said sin, but I can add to one's miseries and woes. I can subtract from one's efficiency, health, and wealth, and I can multiply one's sorrows, sicknesses, and trouble, and I can divide one's energies and powers of the body, mind, and soul, end quote. And that's exactly right. Sin has a way of ruining us. It is the path of It is a path of darkness. But then there's a second path in chapter 4. Not only does he talk about the darkness of the path of the wicked, but look in verse 18. He talks about the brightness of the path of the just. Notice what he said in verse 18. But the path of the just, and there's that conjunction, but uh, contrasting the path he has just described, a path of darkness. Now he describes a path of brightness. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Here is one path. It is a path of darkness. Here is another path. It is a path of brightness. And he says, I want you to ponder which one of these paths you're going to take. Well, look at the path of brightness. He calls it a path of a shining light. And the ideal is of a very brilliant light. And what he's saying to us is that this is a path that is flooded with light. And the ideal, of course, is that down this path, it is a path that is flooded with the light of God. It is a path that is enriched with the blessings of God. It is a life of great blessings. 
But he not only describes it as a path of a shining light, but he also states in verse 18 that it shineth more and more unto the perfect day. And it's not only a life of great blessings, but it's a life of growing blessings. That here is a path of darkness that only brings sorrow, but here is a path of brightness that will bring joy. Here is a path of darkness, here is a path of brightness. Here is a path of distressfulness, and here is a path of delightfulness. Here is a pleasurable path, and here is a painful path. There is the path of the just and the path of the wicked. And he says to us in verse 26, Now, ponder the path of your feet. I want you to look at the path of the wicked. I want you to look at the path of the just. I want you to weigh out the end result of these paths that you'll take. Now choose what path you're going to take. And we're talking about giving our feet to God and coming before God and giving our feet to the Lord. We ought to come before God and say, Dear God, I come before you and this is the path that I am going to take in life. Why would anybody not want to take that path? Now, I may not have much sense, but I do believe the Bible. That's one thing I don't have any problem with. I believe the Bible. It's the Word of God. And there's too much examples out there for me to point to, but if I didn't have example one, I'd still believe what the Bible says, and I would still believe that the Bible said that the path of the wicked is a dark path. And I would still believe that the path of the just is a bright path. Now, weigh the two paths out. What is the choice? Who wants to go down a path of darkness that ends in sorrow? Now, you want to go down a path of brightness that ends with greater and growing blessings. Amen? Ponder the path of your feet. Ponder the path of your feet. Now, take your place and turn to Psalm 119. And the second path that I want to point out to to you is not only a, a path to ponder, but in Psalm 119, I want you to notice a path to pursue. In Psalm 119... There are two paths in life. Ponder which one you're going to take. Look at the consequences of going down either one. And the ideal, of course, in the mind of Solomon is that if you'll really weigh this thing out, there is no choice to make. You will choose the path of brightness over darkness. But now in Psalm 119, the psalmist talks about another path associated with our feet. And I would call this a path to pursue. He speaks of a path that we should pursue as believers. In Psalm 119, verse 105, he talks about a path that is directed and guided by the Word of God. Look at Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. The Bible said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He now talks about a certain kind of path. And again, I would call this a path to pursue. He's talking about a path in which the Word of God has become the guide of that path. And what the psalmist is telling us here that he has learned to use the Word of God in his life. His feet are going down a path, a path in which he has began to use the Word of God. Thinking about using the Word of God, I think about a story I read one time about this elderly lady that had just returned home from church and she was startled to find an intruder in her house. And when she saw the burglar, she simply yelled, Stop! Acts 2.38. And of course, Acts 2.38 talks about being repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, whatever. But she just hollered, Stop! Acts 2.38. Well, the burglar stopped dead in his tracks. And she called the police and the police arrived and they took the man into custody. 
But as one of the officers was putting a pair of handcuffs on the burglar, he said, why did you just stand there? All she did was just make, make mention of a verse from the Bible. And the burglar said, a verse from the Bible? She said she had an axe and two thirty-eights. Well, she learned how to use the Bible. Well, use the Bible. And the psalmist here is talking about a path and using the Bible in his life. And as he talks about using the Bible in his life, he testifies that God's Word had been a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. Now look at these two things. Thinking about the Bible being a lamp and the Bible being a light. For one thing, the psalmist is describing God's Word and how it gives light for the decisions of life. Now look at Psalm 119, 105. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet. Now notice that carefully. He said, the word of God is a lamp to my feet. He later talks about a path, which is a much broader light. But in the first part of verse 105, he said, it's a lamp unto my feet. In other words, he's talking about that which is lighting the, or illuminating the steps of his life. Not the path down there, not the road in front of him, but he has got light that is shining down on his feet. It's talking about the steps of his life or each step that he is making. The ideal is that as he makes, he's in darkness now and he's having to carefully watch every step that he takes because it's so dark around him and his feet is being lit or illuminated where he can see in each step that he takes. Now the ideal is that we, the Word of God, gives us light for the decisions of life. And I want you to understand something tonight. Life is full of decisions. You make decisions every day of your life. I read in the USA Today, in one of their surveys, they asked 4,500 men and women who were responsible for making decisions around the home. And they found that women are responsible for deciding what was for dinner and preparing it. Women were responsible for managing the household budget. And they found that women were responsible for raising the children. They found that men and women together are responsible for where to go on vacation, how much to spend on major purchases, and how much insurance to carry and where to buy it. But you know what they found out men were responsible for? In this survey of 4,500 people, women now are responsible to decide what was for dinner, getting it ready, managing the household, raising children. Together they decide where they go on vacation, how much to spend on major purchases, and uh, how much insurance to get and where to buy. But men are responsible for deciding what to watch on TV, and that's the only thing. But we make decisions in our life. And you may be facing a decision tonight. I want you to understand something. That Bible you got in your hand is more than a museum piece. And it's more than just a book to learn a few facts and figures about. The Word of God is your light. The Word of God helps you to make the decisions of life. Every step of life can be guided by the Word of God. I don't care what decision you make in life. I don't care what it is, whether it involves your money, whether it involves your family, whether it involves your job. It ought to be illuminated by what the Bible said. But the Word of God gives you light for the decisions of life. But look at the second part of verse 105. Not only is it a lamp unto my feet, but it's a light unto my path. The Word of God not only gives light for the decisions of life, but it gives light for direction in life. Now you've got a path out in front of you. First of all, it's a lamp to light every step that he makes, every decision that he makes. Now it's a light lighting up the pathway in front of him, showing him the direction to go. Not only are the decisions of life guided by the Word of God, 
But the direction in life has been determined by the Word of God. Giving us light in where we should, what, where we should go and what we should do. Now he's talking about our path and the feet that our, the path that our feet walk upon. And there is a path to ponder, choosing which path we're going to take in life. But there is a path to pursue. And that is a path that is governed and guided and guarded by the Word of God. I'm going to tell you something. That's a path that I want to follow. I want this book to be the standing rule in my life. I want this book to be the final authority in my life. I want this book to determine what I believe and how I view things. I want this book to determine what I do, where I go, everything about life. That's the path to pursue. Our feet giving them to God. Coming before God and saying, Dear God, I come before you and I give you my feet. I will walk the path of the just. Dear God, I come before you and I give you my feet. I will walk the path that is guided and determined and directed by the Word of God. It is a path to pursue. But let me give you a third and a final thing for the sake of time. Look over in Hebrews chapter 12. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, in one more verse, and that's verse 13. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, notice verse 13. And there is what I would call a path to protect. There is not only a path to ponder and a path to pursue, but there is a path to protect. And this would be the outcome of you pondering the paths in life and choosing the right one, going down the path of the just, and then letting your life and your feet be guided by the Word of God. Now this would be the follow-up to both of those in Hebrews chapter 12, notice verse 13. The Bible said, And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. I got a message I preach often in revival meetings from this text, from verses 12 and verse 13, on healing in the Christian life. But I want you to look at verse 13, where this is a very interesting verse. What the writer is talking about is the path of our feet and making straight the path of our feet. He's talking about protecting the path that we walk upon. Here's the picture. The picture is of a runner running in a race. Here's a text, verses 13, verses 12 and 13, are full of medical terms and they're full of athletic terms. For example, in verse 12, there's athletic or medical terms there, lifting up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Verse 13, there's... Uh, uh, medical terms as well as athletic terms make straight paths for your feet. That's athletic, but lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, that's medical. He's talking about a runner running in a race. And there are two things that he tells him to do. One, you see there are steps of preparation. Steps of preparation. Notice carefully that he says, and make straight paths for your feet. Make. He's talking about something that he needs to do concerning the path. I underscore the word straight for just a moment. We often think of straight, we think of a straight line. But when he talks about straight here, it's not that which is straight in contrast to that which is crooked. The word that is actually translated straight here is a word that literally means to smooth, to smooth out a path, to level a path, to make it, as we might say, straight from a side view, but it really is to make that path smooth or to make that path level. Now, here's the picture. It's a runner. And so you're talking about a track. And he's talking about preparing that track for the race. And there is the going over that track, smoothing that track out. 
making sure there is no stone there that could cause the runner to stumble. Or there is no dip in that track that could cause him to stumble. Or nothing on, on that course or nothing on that track that could hinder and trip up that runner when he's running. He's talking about steps of preparation. It is making sure there is nothing in the path that could cause us to stumble in the race. Now you look at your path. You choose the path. You make the decision which path you're going to go down. You choose the path of the by the Word of God. But there is one thing that as a believer we have to watch in life, and that is to make sure that the path is clear of anything that could cause us to stumble. And that is we're running a race, and we're running the race of life. And there, every day is a race, and as you begin your day, you have got to prepare the track for your race for that day. Because there is all kinds of things on the track of life that could cause us to stumble. And there are all kinds of things on the track of life that could trip us up and cause us to be put out of the race. And therefore, you've got to prepare that track and make sure that track is smooth and clear of anything that would keep you from running the race of life. You've got to guard your life. Life is not just floating through like whatever you want to. I mean, it's a serious business living for God. And sin is sin and the devil is real and he's waiting just for one chance to put a stone in our path that causes, as we run, we step on and cause us to fall or to dip in the track or a stick in the track or something. He wants to knock us out of the race of life. And that's why you have got to prepare the track. You have got to make sure there is nothing in that track and the lane you are running that would cause you to stumble. There's the steps of preparation. Are you listening to me? Amen? Second of all, not only steps of preparation, but there are steps of prevention. For notice what he said. And make straight paths for your feet lest. So I just, I want, this is a reason why there are steps of preparation. He said, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. He said, the reason I want you to prepare the track is to prevent an injury. Now you see that phrase, that lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. That's another medical term. And it literally talks about somebody whose hip has been disjointed. Somebody's hips out of place. And the idea of the picture you get here is somebody that is running. And maybe there was a stone, maybe about the size of your fist, down into the grit or the gravel there. But they stepped on him. When they did, they turned their ankle and they fell. And their hip was dislocated. And the result was, he said in verse 14, he said, uh, verse, uh, rather verse 13 there, lest they be turned out of the way. He said, I want to keep you from getting hurt not being able to run. I want to prevent, I want you to take steps of preparation that are really steps of prevention so that you don't end up knocked out of the race. That you don't give the devil a chance to get you out of the race. That you don't give the devil an opportunity to knock you out and leave you on the sideline as an injured runner. God knows there have been too many through the years. And God knows there have been way too many that have become casualties of items in the track and they didn't prepare the track and they didn't watch their track and the result was they stumbled and they're out of the race tonight. He's talking about steps of prevention so that you run the race and you finish the race well. I read about one particular race in those days. It was not an award given to the winner or the fastest, I should say. 
It was not a race in which the fastest runner or the first one to cross the finish line was the victor. But it was a race that was run and the winner was the first one to cross the finish line with their torch still burning. Now that's the way the, God wants us to finish the race. He wants us to finish a race with our torch still burning. And he wants us to run the race. Here is our feet, giving our feet to God. And saying, dear God, you have put me on the track of life to run for you. And dear God, I don't want to become a casualty in life. I don't want to be a has-been where my name is blighted and smeared because of something that I ignored in my life and let go. Dear God, I want to walk with you and let the Word of God be the governing power in my life so that when it's all said and well done, I, and said and done, I'll hear the well done of the Savior. It is a steps of prevention. You don't want to be knocked out of the race. Let me sum it all up. As a believer, we're to give our bodies to the Lord and in particular give our feet to God. And to give our feet to God, we ought to ponder the path that we're going to take. There are two paths in life. You can choose to go down either one of them. You can go down the path of the wicked, or you can go down the path of the just. But just remember, the path of the wicked is a dark path. The path of the just is a bright path. But you choose the path, and you choose the right one. And it's a path in which you let the Word of God direct your life. The Word of God directs the decisions of your life. The Word of God determines the uh, direction of your life. You let the Word of God direct your feet and your path and you run that path and you guard the paths of life so that you do not become a casualty. Are you listening to me? Give your feet to the Lord. I know everybody in this room tonight is familiar with the name of John Dillinger. John Dillinger, the notorious gangster and bank robber. And you know that his life of crime ended in front of the Biograph Theater in Chicago, Illinois. The day after John, Dillin John Dillinger was shot down, one of the Chicago newspapers showed a picture. It was an interesting and unusual picture. Most of them showed John Dillinger lying on the sidewalk or showed his body in the morgue and whatever. You've seen some of those pictures on some of the shows and things like that. But this particular newspaper showed only the feet of the dead gangster. And the picture was followed by this editorial comment. Who knows where these feet might have gone if someone had guided them aright? What about your feet? Where are they going? Where are they going? Give your feet to God. I want you to take your prayer sheet tonight. And I'm going to let a couple of you... Tell you what I'm going to I'm going to let... Uh, let you participate in this tonight because I don't have my prayer sheet with me. So, Roy, who is our uh, uh, Church of the Week? Nellie Head Baptist Church in Ringo where Herschel Hicks is the pastor. I want to pray for them, one of our sister churches. And in particular, reason I want to pray for them there in revival next week. They start Sunday going through Wednesday. Tom Hayes will be there next week, so maybe you're free one night. I want to slip down. We want to be praying for them and lifting them up in prayer. James, who's our Missionary of the Week? Aaron and Debbie Carr. This is Bill and Cindy's daughter. And, uh, and uh, they're in language school in Costa Rica. So we want to remember the Carrs tonight and be praying for them. So we remember these things. Also on your prayer sheet you have other things there. And want to be praying for our folk that are in the hospital. And we'll remember them. And also I want you to, uh, I hadn't said anything about it, but I want you to be praying about this. Uh, many of you have asked about Brother Brian. And I talked to Brian on Monday. He's doing well. And 
It's excited about the opportunity God has given him. But I also want to ask you to help us pray now about the, the, the will of God in the future for us and what, who God wants and whatever. And I am really laying this matter before the Lord and uh, I will not get anybody or do anything until I know who God wants. But I, want, I ask your help to help me pray about this and the future is who God is going to lead us to. And I know God has somebody out there for us and, and it may be somebody I know, maybe somebody I don't know. But God, we want him, uh, His will to be done in this matter. So I want you to join with us in prayer about uh, the next associate here. So pray about these matters. I want you all to come. Three things I want you to do. Number one, I want you to pray for our missionary of the week, which is the cars, and Aaron and Debbie. Also, I want to pray for our church of the week, Nellie Head Baptist Church. The revival starts Sunday. And thirdly, I want you to come, give your feet to Jesus. Will you do that? Let's all come. Just gather around this altar, take these closing moments of this Wednesday night service, and let's give our feet to God. We're to present our bodies to the Lord. Now let's give our feet to the Lord. We've given our hands to God. Now let's give our feet to the Lord. Let's do that. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, what a privilege to be able to pray. What an honor to be able to pray. Father, if it were not for the blood of Jesus Christ, we'd have no merits to approach thee whatsoever. And I know, Lord, when I come to you, that I can't come to you based upon how I've lived today or what I've done today. I'd only come to you on the merits of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Christ is my way into the presence of God and my only way. So, God, I come to you tonight not based on my worthiness, but based on the worthiness of the Son of God to come before thy throne tonight and to bring these particular matters to you. Father, we ask you to bless Aaron and Debbie as they're in language school in Costa Rica. Father, as they're preparing to serve you in Central America, I ask you, Lord, to bless them now and thank you for Debbie growing up on a mission field and a mission family home. Thank you for the Murdochs and the influence of their life, even through their children. And then for putting her with Aaron and giving them both the burden to go back, I pray you bless them. We pray for the work of God in Central America. We pray for the work of God in Costa Rica. We pray God should bless, but be with the cars. We pray tonight for one of our sister churches here in the area, Nellie Head Baptist and Brother Herschel. We ask you, Lord, to bless them as they get ready for revival. Bless Brother Tom as he comes and begins to share with them on Sunday. I pray you minister through him and give them a glorious week in the Lord. Bless their ministry there. God, let it be a great week. And then, God, as we come tonight, we want to come to you to give you our feet. Lord, to give you our feet so that they would always walk in the path of the just and that we would always walk according to your word and that, Lord, we'd be able to run the race and run it well and be able to finish the race. Don't let us be injured in the race of life because we ignored or neglected the course that we were running. Father, may we run as a very disciplined runner. May we run a well, straight, and smooth path. So, Father, we give you our feet tonight, our hands, and we give you our feet as we present our bodies to you. Hear us, Lord. Take us and use us. And we pray, Lord, for this coming Sunday, may the anointing of the Spirit of God be upon this service. May the blessed Holy Ghost, Lord, work here. Father, in the past few days, my heart has been stirred as I have been reading about the work of God in Ulster, Northern Ireland in 1859. And a year of grace, of unusual movings of God. Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would visit us in such a way as you visited them. God, may we have a few drops of what they experienced in those days. We pray, God, for the presence and the power of God to meet with us on the Lord's day. 
Father, I pray you bless our folks as they go out tomorrow on their jobs, use them to be a witness for Christ. Bless our faith teams as they come tomorrow night and they go out to share the gospel. Bless them as they go out. Thank you, Lord, for the two that were saved last week. God, may there be others led to Christ tomorrow night. Bless them throughout the rest of the week as we try to bring people on Sunday and put within all of our hearts a desire to want to try to get someone here on the Lord's Day. And I pray you bless on the Lord's Day. May this, the invitation time be a time in which the power of God is demonstrated. So, Father, bless now in a very special way. Glorify the name of Jesus Christ and take this ministry. May exalt the name of Jesus Christ, for it's in His name we pray. Amen. I appreciate all of you being here tonight. Those that are visiting, be sure to take time to introduce yourself and thank them for coming. Be back with us on the Lord's Day.